Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Again, we're already down the podcast. Today is April 12th. I'm well, let's do that again. Good morning, good evening, wherever it may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 555. My name is Eric Nelson. And with me today, I have my co-host, Matt Longeth. Today's Thursday, May 12th, 2021. Had a little bit of a glitch in the network, but we're back. Matt, how are you doing today? Eric, do you have your snack ready or you know a drink nearby? Because I feel like we could go on for hours today. We have new CEO announcements, and we have Carl Webster's talking about all things EUC, Citrix, Horizon, the full stack. But before we dive right into all of that, how are you, sir? How are things out there? And as always, what's the color of the bay? Uh, let me tell you, I am very well, only because of the announcements. I'm super jazzed with uh, who we picked for the CEO. We'll get there. It is a little chilly today, California. We had a little storm blow through. We're kind of like one of those no rain, foggy kind of storms in California we get in the Bay Area. So it was like a cool 52 this morning in the morning for breakfast. And uh, But it's sunny kind of coming out. And uh, color of the Bay is a little choppy green because it's got a little wind coming up. And it's a little gray and chilly here today. So a little bit of throwback into late spring happening. On the show today, we're going to be covering Horizon 7.12 blog series with Carl Webster. Carl is on the show. We'll say hello to Carl right now. Hey, Carl, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Very good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, great to have you. You are kind of a legend when it comes to desktop and, uh, you know, virtual virtualizing desktop between Citrix and Parallels and uh, and now VMware. So great to have you on the show. Should be a fun show. Uh, but before, Carl, before we get to you, we, we do have to cover the news, and it is an interesting news day today. So, uh, Matt, you alluded to it. The news of the day is uh, the live stream happened for the desktop world. You can go still catch the live stream. Don't forget to go listen to um, the live stream that we covered last week on Anywhere Workspace. Uh, you can go to VMware.com, anywhere-workspace-event.html. Go check out that live stream. And, of course, I'm just kidding because, Matt, what else is happening? I think we have a new CEO. 
I think we do. I think we do. And uh, congratulations to Raghu Raghamaran. If you haven't heard it, you must have lived living under a rock somewhere because we announced this morning, East Coast time, that uh, Raghu won the CEO position. And let me tell you, I am I am super excited about that. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Raghu hired me. Uh, he was the director that I interviewed with when I started here maybe 14 years ago, and I worked on his team in tech marketing. So it was us and uh, maybe 10 other people directly reporting to Raghu. That was back in the days when we reported to, he, she, he reported to Diane Green. So I got to meet Diane and work with Diane Raghu. And Raghu has been at the company ever since, you know, leading technical. 2003, uh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was here very at the very beginning with Diane and Mendel. Um, so I, I've always commented that if Raghu leaves, uh, I'm going to be very sad, right? So this is actually a, kind of an exciting follow-up to Pat Gelsinger, right? I think it's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, it's a core technologist, right? I mean, yeah. if you look at where Pat was, is always someone that's involved, not necessarily how that they have progressed in their career through management, but a key part is being that technologist first and then progressing through the management stacks. And Raghu obviously continues that trans uh, a tremendous foundation to continue the company forward. Yeah, and I, and I believe that Pat Gelsinger has a really close relationship with Raghu. Raghu has always been the key guy that he would put in roles that were important to VMware. So with Pat over at Intel now and Raghu running VMware, I think there's a lot of synergy between the two of us, right? And uh, and certainly, uh, if you were here back in 2005 when I started or 2006, um, we were a big Dell shop back then. Dell, we were we were tight with Dell, right? Like in uh, Ragu, we used to say, yeah, look, look, we had Dell laptops everywhere. Dell, Dell gave us deals on everything. Uh, Diane Green worked with Dell. So I think that, you know, Raghu understands the relationship with Dell, and so I don't see that pulling apart too uh, much when we when we spin out, right? I think that's really good. Also, he understood HP, he understood the other vendors, he understood IBM, he understood the partner ecosystem. So I think this is like a you know if you're going to spin out VMware to be an independent company, I can't think of a better person that understands our market and understands how we go to market um, than Raghu from a business perspective. And then, like you say, the technology that we that that he understands and he understands the data center better than anybody i've ever talked to right and in the last two years he's been running the cloud integration with uh andy gesso and uh, the guys up at uh, amazon right and so he also understands that so he's really navigated well our strategy on how to go to market with all the different pieces of the industry so super excited about that and you know what he's just a super nice guy Right. Like he, you know, he's not maybe as extrovert as Pat Gelsinger is like from a super nice perspective, but I've never had a bad conversation with uh, Raghu. He's he's always been calm and nice and listened and been caring when you, you have an issue or you need some help with something. He'll always go, OK, well, that's a good idea. Let's see if we can. You know, like he's he always gives you the right people to connect with and uh, never a mean word comes out of Raghu's mouth, always positive, always visionary. So man, I, I'm just super excited today. Like that's, this is great. When we did our initial, you know, episode or special episode on, on Pat's departure, one of the key things that, that we, we pointed out and we talked in depth about was how important whomever this new CEO would be 
to have not only be the technologist fit, but the cultural fit for what Pat had established. Right. And obviously, Raigu's there, right? He, yeah. He's he's seen the ecosystem. He knows what what the culture, the community, the the epic two values that, that the the company has grown and and made part of their cultural ecosystem. So yeah. he, he's there, right? He's that he's definitely that fit because he uh, he's been part of the growth and the expansion of the organization for eighteen years. So yeah. great to see. I I couldn't be happier. I think that that's a, a, a fine choice by the board. And uh, the next logical succession to carry us along with what will be a tremendous growth path. Yeah, I I, I also agree. All right, with that little happy moment, uh, thank you for listening. Now we're going to get to the show. What because uh, Carl Webster is is here with us, and we do want to talk about you know uh, what he's been blogging about. So Carl, welcome to the show. You're a blogger. You're kind of a desktop famous guy. Um, tell us about uh, how you got where you are today. What have you worked on in your career? And uh, we'll spend some time getting to know you. All right. <clears throat> well, I'm in my 44th year in IT. So I've been in IT longer than most of my IT friends have been alive. Nice. So good to be alive. (laughs) So it was a confluence of events, but it's actually, believe it or not, the U.S. Army screwing up my military orders that got me into IT. So I went to basic training and when I, for, for the Louisiana Army National Guard, when I came back, my original orders were only supposed to be for eight weeks because I was I was a tuba player, a professional musician, going to school as a music major. So I was considered, you know, civilian qualified for my skill. So eight weeks and I was supposed to be out. The Army made it for one year, the orders. Hmm. And so when I got back from basic training, I was still on active duty, and after sitting around home, I called my CO and said, I'm bored. Can I go find a job? He was like, well, sure. So there was an ad for an office clerk. This bank customer might be interested in you. So I went to First National Bank, Shreveport, Louisiana, interviewed, and they said, hey, we've got this new position. You'll be trained in mainframes half a day, and you'll sort checks for the bookkeeping department half a day. It pays $400 a month. We don't know if we'll keep the position after 90 days. Are you interested? And I was like, $400 a month? Wow, what do you do with that kind of money? You know, back in 1977 when minimum wage was $2 an hour. So that's how I got into IT. And I I say I took to it like a duck takes to water and been in it ever since. Got started being trained as a mainframe operator, then uh, got some training in mainframe COBOL and mainframe assembler then moved into PC software development because in 77, there was no IBM PC. There was no Apple PC. You know, you might be able to find some kits somewhere, but you couldn't go to a store and buy a personal computer. And so 
everything was mainframes. So that's where my background came from was mainframes. And then I moved into uh, software development. Um, and then uh, from the 80, from the mid eighties until 2001, um, I was, uh, I started at a company in a small town in Arkansas as a help desk person because I'd gone back to school as a, as an accounting major, because I figured there was no money in music. You make, you can make more money in IT. Um, so I started studying accounting and then they wrote accounting software. So I was there to answer questions about accounts payable, accounts receivable, how sure. general ledger works and all that stuff. And then got into software development. And then after 17 years, I had gone from help desk to uh, a principal software architect of the company. But after so many years of working literally 100 hours a week or more, I walked in the office one day, matter of fact, uh, July 20th, 2001, I walked in and I could not remember how to program. Wow. I, it was yep. just when you say burnout. Yeah. My brain was burned out. I could not remember anything about programming. And I was the, you know, principal software architect. I knew everything about every program they had. Um, walked in and just said, stared at my screen. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. Timed out. Right. Yeah. Yep. And so they, believe it or not, after 17 years, they just escorted me out the door. Yeah. Not to, yeah. There you go. Yeah. That, well, that's and one way of solving the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when uh, it. So that company is actually where I got my start in EUC because um, we supported literally every network operating system out there. We did Lantastic. You know, we did the Apple uh, Tops. You know, we did the IBM PC, you know, broadband network. We did, you know, Netware ELS 1, 2, 3, and, you know, and all that stuff. And uh, we started using this newfangled thing called uh, Citrix Multi-User OS 2. Because I was a big fan of OS2. I loved OS2 back in the day. And that's how I got my start uh, with Citrix back there. So I've been around Citrix for, I think it's my 31st year of being around Citrix products. Yeah. That's that's a neat history. I, I remember the terminal multiplexers that I got on my first SCO Unix box, and, uh, and then I go back to the mainframe with card 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 readers and JCL yeah. job control language and all that. It's like you and you and me have come up along along the same road, right? And Peachtree Accounting. I don't know if you ever got, yeah. got to spend time at oh, yeah. Peachtree, yeah. right? Like no, I was like, a Peachtree certified consultant at one time. There you go. Yep, yep, yep. I got Peachtree along the way, and then there was another one. I worked at a small, mid-sized company. There was a kind of a warehouse inventory system called Trackline, right? Which was also a, like a inventory, you know, accounting kind of thing. So yeah, you come up through that whole space, right? And then uh, working with customers, and then you know, terminal multiplexers, and you know, get like hundred terminals on a, a SCO machine, right? Like you had like these cards that had like ports, and you'd run yeah. those. Then the, you know, and then there was the the, the fact cable, Ethernet cables, like I forget 
forget what the name of those were that you know built your token ring networks and other kind of networks that were there and then mm -hmm. tcp ip finally got it enabled and you had like thin twisted pair tcp ip and you're like oh thank god we got like cables that i can string through attics and ceiling panels right yeah we're taking yeah. out ceiling panels and stringing those guys so interesting yeah yeah interesting thing and then you were in Centrix, and then everything became modern and when did you start getting into the virtualization space on that oh man that wasn't until probably the mid 2000s because everyone still wanted to do everything physical no one wanted to mess with that newfangled uh, GSX stuff, you know, because they figured, well, I'm running Exchange. Exchange uses so much of the CPU and memory, I can't share it with anything. Same thing with SQL. Same thing with terminal servers. Same thing with, you know, the old Citrix uh, MetaFrame and presentation server. People didn't think applications could be virtualized or run on a virtualized platform because everyone just assumed, well, it's always pegging the CPU. I can't share anything. So, um, you know, but, th but then VMware came out, you know, with that uh, utility you could run, you know, for what, like a month on your servers. And then you'd come out and find out, oh, well, crap, my average CPU utilization is 5%. Right. Yep. Yeah, you know, I don't really use that much RAM. You know, there's really, the server's really not that busy. Yeah, we can actually, you know, reside with other servers and other applications on the same virtualization underpinnings. And that's when people, you know, start, as a matter of fact, uh, there were people actually writing, uh, what, what was it, uh, Project Virtual Reality Check, one of their first white papers was, can you actually virtualize terminal server? Can you run yeah. terminal yeah. server on ESX? Right. You know, and the thing was, uh, yeah, you can. And you can actually run, you know, instead of having one terminal server, you know, with, uh, say, two, excuse me, 256 meg of RAM and a you know, quad core uh, CPU or actually four CPUs since we didn't have the multiple core back then, you know, you could have that and actually install ESXi on top of that and actually take that same hardware. And now you could probably get six or eight or 10 terminal servers on the same hardware. Yeah. And now we're saving money because instead of having to buy 10 servers, I can buy one, put ESXi on it, and man, yeah, now we're golden. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that's a, it's an interesting history. I mean, we could, like uh, Matt, as you mentioned, I think we could spend 10 hours. If I had a lot of food here, I would just sit and eat, and we could just we could talk all day. Um, we'll transition to kind of like uh, the industry now. I'll get some more industry questions. Before I do that, I skip Corey. I want to bounce back to Corey for just a second. Corey Romero, I know you have some of the expert uh, um, announcements and stuff you want to talk about. So let's go to you, and then we'll we'll free you up. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, so vExpert news. Um, so vExpert Avi is coming. So the vExpert Avi subprogram is, is going to happen. 
Um, I think I talked a little bit about that last week. Um, I've requested licenses for all of the experts. So the V-Expert licenses will be coming out in the next week or so. Um, also, V-Expert applications for the second half of 2021 are going to open in June. I don't have a date yet, but once I do, I will announce that. Um, and then we'll have results uh, right around VMworld time, just like we do every year, uh, voting results. Um, so I have all of that. Uh, we'll be uh, good to go to set up the V-Expert Avi program as well. I'm excited about that. What we're going to look for, since Avi is kind of new to the VMware community, um, and we did, we did this when we uh, when we you know start, first started up the NSX program, is not a lot of people were talking about NSX at the time. So that's the same expectation on Avi. Right, so we are going to look for the people who are talking about Avi currently, whether it's in sessions or or podcasts or, or or blogs, whatever it may be. And then we're also looking for people who are willing to learn about Avi and talk about Avi um, and their social channels as well. Um, so that'll be a little bit more about that as we spin up the program um, and as we launch that and, and go out and uh, with the, with the email and send that out to everybody. Um, so that's what I've got for the expert for this week. All right, thanks. Sorry, I forgot to bring you in the loop at the beginning. <laughs> no uh, worries. But it's okay. Are you finally out of the snowstorms in uh, in Utah? Did you get some nice weather eventually? You know, it, we're go we're bouncing from the 80s, and then it's in snow, right? So it snowed uh, two days ago. Oh. Um, you know, woke up in the morning, looked outside, and it's it's dumping snow. And the day before, it was 80 degrees. So uh, you know, Utah I, weather. This is how the how we transition. I know. But luckily, I was in Arkansas last week, where it was beautiful. I know that uh, based on the graying of your beard and the fact that you live up in Utah, you're up on top of a mountain somewhere at about 9,000 feet, which is why you're still getting snow. So come back out of your cave, come back down to regular elevations and, you know, it'll be nice weather. Just, just for you. Yeah, right. All right, Carl, thanks for letting us do that interruption. So we were... We aware of the the fact that the, now we've seen desktop virtualization. Matt, do you have you want to take Carl through kind of like how we go through where we went from uh, getting some core virtualization in the desktop to get? I'll I'll hand it over to you now. So uh, the the topic that we brought up today was Carl's blog, which I had stumbled across as a, as a Citrix admin back in the day, and have always had it bookmarked as, as top of mind. It's just I, I consider it one of those Bible sites that are out there that that you almost check in to see what, what the new information has been out there on on a daily basis because it's so useful. But Carl, why the blog? Why I mean, where was that transition from you coming out of what you had been as you know a chief technologist and chief programmer, and then stepping over into the EUC space and doing more consultancy? But you know, a key part of your community identity and your brand, if you will, now is this EUC blog at CarlWebster.com. So how did how did you get started? How why you know we we heard about the Citrix background. But why was there that initial need or just desire to start out and posting information? I've got a lot of friends who are MVPs. And at the time I started my blog back in 2008, uh, so 2003 through 2008, um, I started concentrating on Active Directory and Exchange. And my main AD mentor, Michael B. Smith, kept encouraging me. He says, man, you get all the interesting projects. I get the projects where, you know, like an exchange, 
where admins actually went onto the old M drive and set NTF permissions on mailboxes to keep people out of mailboxes and stuff like that. And then you go to do a migration and you can't migrate because the M drive is all screwed up, which is why now you no longer have access to that old M drive. Um, and just kept coming up with all these weird uh, projects uh, where the company that hired me in 2007 uh, for my uh, AD uh, experience uh, put me on what they call their A-team, where when something, when the crap really hit the fan, you'd get a call two o'clock in the afternoon. But, and this actually, actually did happen. I got a call at 1115 and said, we need you in New York City tonight. Your plane leaves at two, pick up your tickets at the counter at the Little Rock Airport. And so I literally kept two suitcases packed because I would leave, I would go and, you know, they, uh, they called me the firefighter. I was the guy that went into the firestorm, figured out what was causing the fire, fixed the fire, came home, dumped all my clothes out. My wife did the laundry. I hit the bed, woke up the next morning, never knowing where I was going or what I was going to be working on. The phone would ring. I'd pick up the next suitcase, hit the car, head to the airport. And I was on the road 27 days a month back then. And so they kept encouraging, man, you you see all this weird crap. Why don't you write about it? Well, there are so many, at that time, there were so many Active Directory and Exchange blogs out there that, uh, and then I couldn't get customer permission to write about the stuff. Plus, it's kind of hard to write about the stuff when you don't have screenshots of the actual issues and stuff and how you found the issue, you know, in the these mysterious things that no one knows exist on servers. They're called event logs. You know, <laughs> no one knows they exist, you know. and Terribly you, mysterious things. Yeah, really mysterious. But you, you just find out. So I decided to take a different focus. So I was doing 95% Active Directory exchange work and 5% Citrix terminal server stuff. And then after being on the road 27 days a month for a couple of years, I finally just said, hey, my wife has had enough of this. You know, I want to come off of the road and, you know, not be on the road 27 days a month. Well, then all of a sudden, it's just like a, a switch flipped in the company and I got to the point to where I no longer did exchange projects and I didn't do that many AD projects. I wound up doing all these Citrix projects. And so I went from doing 95% AD exchange work to 5% AD exchange work and 95% Citrix work. And so what I found in the internet in the same same thing with VMware, there are uh, so so you could take uh, Citrix, Microsoft, VMware. Back in 2007, 2008, there are lots of blogs, lots of sites out there where people go into great technical details of the products. 
But what I realized and what I uh, told Brian Madden uh, when we did the, the interview for VMworld 2020 is that every day, even today, May 12, 2021, there is someone who is stepping into the virtualization world, the EUC world that knows absolutely nothing about it. They don't know about profiles. They don't know why roaming profiles are the devil. They don't know what virtualization is, much less server virtualization, desktop virtualization, application virtualization, all these weird things that we used to have to do in the registry. You know, when you would go to, you know, install an app on the terminal server, you know, they don't know these things. So someone has to be there to teach the basics, to show them, you know, how to get started. And so I decided that was going to be the focus of CarlWebster.com. Well, I, was, I, I, I got to say, before you go too far, look, I, you know, I, I know what those logs are. Those that's what crashes your root file system, right? Because they fill up, right? That, that's all they're good for. It's like every time my machine starts behaving oddly, I have to go look and figure out that oh, in var logs somewhere, there's these massive files that just keep filling up. And I have to remove them. That's what. That's all I know about that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I decided that, uh, and I actually tried to get a trademark on learning the basics of. But someone had written a SQL website years ago, and someone had written another blog series years before that. Were they learning the basics of? So I was not, uh, I was denied the trademark for learning the basics of. But that's most of my series, the articles I used to write are learning the basics of, because I want to show you how to get started and how to get from nothing to where you have something that where you can show I have accomplished something, this is something I can use. Okay, now take that knowledge, and now you can start going to you know the James Rankin sites and the Carl Stalhood sites and start learning you know the more advanced topics and why we have so many different profile options. Why we have so many different virtualization options. Why applications can be handled different ways. You know, the difference between non-persistent and persistent, pulled, non-pulled, you know, assign on first use, you know, all that stuff. You, you take someone the first day on the job and try to explain all that stuff to them, their eyes are going to glaze over and they probably won't come back for day two. And so you got to take them on a step-by-step -step journey through learning. You don't take someone and teach them how to do addition and subtraction and then throw them into theoretical algebra. Yeah, it's actually a really good point, too, that we as older admins, right, not that I'm nearly that old, um, need 
to take the 20 year olds and teach them a lot of things and make it exciting for them and give them entry points, which are easy to consume so that the, yeah. because, you know, over time we've just learned all this stuff and then we talk in our own language. Right. And it's like really to take it back into like, in order to keep a new crop of it people, you know, coming through the system, because otherwise that's how technology tends to, to fall off. Right. Is that you, you don't have a next generation that's excited about it and knows how to do it. It gets more expensive to find the talent. And next thing you know, you know, it's you know, some new piece of technology comes along, like uh, Amazon Cloud Services or something, and uh, and then all of a sudden there's there's no more industry, right? So it is important that we as community members actually provide those stepping stones. One to make it easy for them, also make it exciting, make it fun, right? Because we demystify it, and then also you know, after they've been there five or seven years, we have somebody else to talk to, right? Because they, yeah. they they know the vocabulary. So, so let me explain. So I, I, I'm working on two article series right now. Uh, the first one has a very strong VMware focus, and the second one will be all VMware focused. So the, this next series, uh, I'm actually working on Chapter 15 uh, today, um, and it's uh, Building Webster's Lab Version 2. And what I, I take them from is bare metal hardware, and you know, I show them how to install and configure an EX, ES, EXXI 7.0 host. Now that we got a host in storage, now let's install vCenter. All right, now that we got vCenter, now let's do our you know our uh, VDS, our virtual distributed switches, and now let's do our networking. Let's do our networking storage. Now that we have storage, let's upload some ISOs. All right, we got ISOs. Okay, now let's build a template, a server template, and a Windows 10 template. Now that we got a template, let's start building some VMs. All right, we have nothing. So what would be the first VM you'd build? Domain controller. So I actually walk them through building a domain controller. That that's that that's actually the longest article in the series. The Word document is 95 pages long and has 87 images in it, which is creating Active Directory. Where I explain to them what Active Directory is, what DNS is, what DHCP is, what our domain controller is, global catalog, all just. One step at a time, we build a domain controller, and we're doing everything through PowerShell, which is what new admins should be doing, you know, learning PowerShell. So I'm, we're doing everything PowerShell. So here's how you do everything, and here's why you do everything, and here's why we set our network properties this way, and here's why we configure DNS this way, and here's why, you know, when you run on a domain controller, you know, Microsoft DNS and Microsoft DACP, those two are literally joined at the hip. And the way you configure Microsoft DACP directly affects how Microsoft DNS works and how you do aging and scavenging and, and you know setting up all that stuff affects how Active Directory works. It's, it, you know, so you got to understand how all these pieces and parts fit together. And so right now I'm up to, uh, I've got 20 articles planned. Um, so right now Active Directory is built. And so now the hard one for me, the certificate authority, creating the certificate authority and understanding 
certificates and how do you install certificates on servers and you know how do you configure a domain controller for secure LDAP because we got to have all this stuff so when the next series comes up which is going to be on Horizon 8 2103 you know we need to have something to hand certificates to everything because security everything should be have a security focus how do we secure everything and so everything should be secure from the get-go so i'm showing them how to do all of this stuff one step at a time once the lab is built then i can start on the horizon 8 2103 or heck who knows by that time it could be horizon 8 2106 maybe out the door you know and that data be what i use and it'd be the same thing as what i did you know, with the Horizon 712 series. Hey, here's what it is. Here's how you, you know, install. Here's how you configure. Here's how you create a master image. Here's how you create pools. Here's how you use stuff. You know, here's it's how you one of the best parts of the, of the series, Carl. It really is. You break it down in, into such a consumable, not only a consumable way, but then it's layering the information on. It's, it's how did you build the foundation? Let's get your connection servers installed. Then we're spinning up your UAGs. Then, then it's about, okay, well, what are we going to do for image management? And then how profiles are going to be laid down. And then you're yeah. you know, over at the 2019 to do, you know, RDSH pools and the whole gamut of the horizon stack. And not only can you look at, I, I look at it in two ways, right? You had mentioned about that new admin that wants to understand what it is to lay it down for the first time and from end to end. But it's also useful, and I point my customers to this sometimes, where they have, you know, let's call it a partial stack deployment, where they might just be doing, you know, RDSH hosts, but they haven't done them, or that they need to tweak their pools, or it's an older deployment where they're doing, you know, um, uh, full clones and what, for whatever reason, and move over to instant clones because they're trying to get prepped out for where they want to be with Horizon 8. Um, or, or more traditionally, obviously, link clones over to instant clones. But just to go in there and to pick apart those little sections and in and, and detail, uh, it's so much great information and it's so easy to flow through. I know the whole series, I think, that I saw on your, your 15th chapter for Horizon, it's something like, what, 600 pages yeah. and 450 yeah. images? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I, I I'll say this is, you know, obviously an employee, it's better than our own internal documentation for yeah. kicking it off and, and starting it to begin with, right? Is that that new intro um, for those modules, it's absolutely, utterly fantastic. We should well, actually just do a uh, shout out yeah. to the URL. Uh, so yeah, CarlWebster.com, we... CarlWebster.com. And uh, click on the blog top, the, at the top, if you want to go find his blogs, because he's got a lot of Citrix content there as well. But if you click on the blog, his blog has, and then down at the bottom, it also has category topics. So if you want to go see what categories he's got, he's got a really cool section that shows how many articles he's done for various te technologies, but you have to scroll down past below the fold to see that. But when you see that, you'll see he has, I think, like 20 or 30 VMware articles. And that's that whole uh, series that we're talking about there. So just to yeah, shout out to that. It's going to be about another in a little 40 bit. or 50 after these two series get done. Carl, you had sprinkled in VMware here and there through, throughout the, the blog series. I always, you know, the title of the blog is, you know, the... The, the accidental Citrix, Citrix the admin. Actually, Citrix admin. So I always think Citrix when I think Carl Webster. But this, this latest series 
has been so fantastic. But up till you know the 712 release, it wasn't as so VMware focused. So was it just a matter of, hey, we need to see what's on the other side of the fence, or what was the the impetus to drive up to do this whole stack with Horizon and, and and build such a great blog series? Well, my previous employer had asked, hey, would you be willing to learn Horizon? We got a couple of customers that are interested in it because they don't like what's going on with Citrix licensing. And, you know, it's like Citrix is trying to shove everyone, force everyone into the cloud. And some people don't like that, you know. Um, and I was like, well, sure. I've never seen it. I've never touched it. Well, uh, other than back in the Horizon 5 time frame, I think, when I uh, Citrix hired me to help write uh, a, 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 a view to uh, Citrix uh, Zen Desktop Migration Toolkit. Um, but uh, So he asked me to, to take a look at it. And so I went with open eyes. You know, I was going to, my thing was, is this worth looking at? I don't know anything about it. So let's just go. And, and so as I explained uh, to Brian, uh, Brian Madden, was that I built the lab. I worked through the process, documenting stuff, you know, writing things down. I'm still old school. I still got a yellow pad. I write everything down, you know, as I'm going through. And then I destroy everything. I literally take Gparted and I wipe the ESXi hosts and I start over and following everything I've done to see have I left out anything. You know, is there something that doesn't work? And so uh, fortunately, VMware, uh, I was surprised. Uh, VMware was very receptive to me highlighting shortcomings in the product. Or I would say, why do I have to do that? You say I must do this. Why? Why is it a must? And then I would go and test. Afterwards, I would test. Was that a must? That's not a must. It works just fine without that. Why is it a must? You know, I you know, find why that if you, if you don't do the must, your var logs just fills right back up again. Yeah, and, and you know, and so uh, Brian Madden told me that there were lots of uh, um, internal uh, tickets created off my article series for fixing things that I was pointing out. You know, like so when I'm doing the uh, event database for the connection server, why must I use SQL authentication? You know, I actually happened to find a cached copy of an old VMware article that actually explained it because that was originally written way back when, so we're talking technical debt here, that used an Oracle Java database connector. And at that time back then, it required SQL authentication. It's never been updated. It no longer, that Oracle Java database connector no longer requires SQL authentication. Just no one at VMware has ever taken the time, you know, to I'm just go in there and just it. say, hey, you can use Windows authentication now. You know, so I, so when I go through the Horizon 8 build, destroy, 
build, destroy, because I do it four times. Uh, you know, I build and destroy four times before I start writing the article series, because I want to make sure I have everything documented. So if I do something wrong, I can point out, and you'll see this all the time in the Horizon 712 series. Oh, by the way, don't select this checkbox because a friend told me if you do this, you're going to get this error. Or, hey, if you see this error, a friend told me it's because you did this wrong back here, which is why I told you not to do something, you know, seven steps earlier. But it's because, crap, I screwed everything up and I had to wipe everything out and start all over again. You know, and I'm, I'm like, that's why we have labs. That's why you have people like me who are willing to go through all that pain and the trials and error to figure out what all these check boxes and radio buttons and all the options are and what happens if everything's working and I do this, you know, what happens if I have all these connectors or all these connections from different uh, clients actually to, you know, published applications and desktops and virtual, uh, you know, and desktop OS desktops and my connection server goes down. What happens? Oops. <laughs> you know, I see a message on all four of my thin, you know, all my thin clients back here. Oops, sorry, connection interrupted. <laughs> Oops, that's why you had to have more than one connection server. And oh, by the way, you know, that's the old tunneling protocol. Oh, by the way, that's old technical debt, you know. So there's a lot of so it's fun. I, I, I know it sounds like a lot of pain, but it's actually for me, I actually enjoy that because there are times you get frustrated because you're trying to figure something out and you don't understand it. Well, and what was that from coming over from, from the Citric world, from the Zen world? What was that mental block? What was that one that you hit within a horizon stack that just went, wow, this, this is different? or I don't quite understand why this is done this way as opposed to the Zen world. I don't think there was just one. Uh, I'm not saying that there are many. Or, uh, there's no one big, there was no one big roadblock. I would think any qualified Citrix admin or engineer could easily, you know, of course, dependent upon their mental roadblocks and their uh, prejudices, you know, toward horizon, you know, could within reason set up a horizon proof of concept with not many issues, work through the issues and go on. You know, there were just some things to me like um, in connection server. I got a bunch of pulled uh, desktop OS desktops. I can right click one and reboot, shut down, reset, you know, whatever. I go to my uh, RDSH pool, right click. Oh, I can't do any of that stuff. Ah, oh, crap. I got to go over to vCenter to do that. Why? You know, and, and all these frustrations are laid out bare in that article series. You know, because I'm just like, why? Why do I have to do this? Or why does this not do this? Or why do you say it's this, but there's no explanation? But as far as the overall Horizon product, I found it 
uh, very easy to implement. So you could have a, a prejudice and say, well, but it requires a VMware virtualization infrastructure and it requires vCenter. Hey, it's a VMware product. They can make any requirements they want. So, you know, once you get over that prejudice, you know, it's easy to go through and, you know, just follow follow the steps. There's lots of article, lots of blogs out there that will show you how to get all this stuff up and going, but most of them don't go through all the details. They don't go through every option. They don't go through every checkbox. So, I mean, if, if you have looked at that article series, I don't just say, hey, when you do this, just do uh, next, next, I accept, next, finish, install. Or install Every finish. option's explained. Every option is explained. Hey, it says here, you know, I, I'm installing the Horizon agent, you know, in this VM, and it says I must install the RDSH option. If I must install it, why is it an option? Why can I unselect un it if it's a must-have? And then, if it's a must-have, why do you have a VMware technical article on how to bypass it? And that's also mentioned in the article series. So, you know, I find all these discrepancies and stuff and point them out. <coughs> I thought the Horizon product overall was very good. I thought the memory usage and stuff, you know, on the vCenter, you know, all the, the parents and all that stuff. I was just like, holy crap, man. If you had 32 hosts in a cluster, whoo, this would be a cluster. Because, <laughs> man, that'd be a lot of memory. You know, that'd be a lot of copies of stuff. I was like, whoo. So as I go through the Horizon 8 series, I'm actually going to be looking for all these things I pointed out. Were any of them fixed? In Horizon, it's always 8. good to call it out, right? Let's yeah. See where have we yeah. progressed with the product? Yeah. And, and now the nice thing, uh, I guess, about having a name in the community is if I reach a stumbling block, I know I can reach out to Andy Morgan. Of course, this is before I was a V expert, so I know I can reach out to Andy Morgan. I can email Brian Madden. I can email Ron Oglesby. I can email Sean Bass. You know, I've got a whole list of people I know at VMware that I can reach out to, you know, for something. Of course, now with the V expert uh, honor, you know, you got all those V experts you can ask questions to. But before then, you know, and, uh, and the nice thing when, before I even started writing these two series, um, I emailed uh, Noel, um, yeah, Noel, Ryan yeah. Madden, Ron yeah. Oglesby, and is it Bill? Is Bill the other person? No, no. The, uh, the other person in the influencer type uh, stuff, in the community. Yeah. So I, oh, I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot your name. Tommy. But I, I emailed all four of them right. and said, hey, I'm coming up with this article series, and here's what I've got planned. You know, at, boom. Emails coming back. Let us know what you need in technical support, licensing, downloads, marketing. Now, I'm a CTP fellow. It's a lifetime achievement award from Citrix. 
after I finished the Horizon series, I reached out to my contacts at Citrix and said, hey, I want to do this thing for your on-prem product just like I did for Horizon. That's the response I got. Hmm. Yeah, I still can't write. A person that's not, that's not a CTP, that's not an MVP, can actually VMware register for a Horizon evaluation and get downloads, ISO files, and keys for vSphere, for vCenter, for Horizon, for DIM, for anything you need in the Horizon infrastructure. VMware says, Here's, it's yours for 60 days. That same person cannot at this time cannot go to citrix.com and do the same thing for citrix virtual apps and desktops on premises product well that's good it feedback says something about how we value the euc community right we trust the community with the products yeah now we, we want them to get hands-on yeah well some of us uh the ctps are aggressively and actively working with citrix to resolve this issue because of my frustration. Hey, I'm the guy that writes the how-to articles. I'm the guy that submits thousands of corrections to the Citrix documentation and CTX articles. When I submit a correction, usually within a day, I get a personal response back from the person who looked at my correction and implemented it. Wish I had the same thing with VMware. I can't get anyone to respond to me for VMware feedback on their documentation and KB articles. Um, but, um, you know, so to me, for the EUC community, VMware is kind of like, what was it? Get my hands out. Yeah, here, here we go. We're going to hand it to you. We're going to give it to you for 60 days. Do with it what you want. 60 days. Now, day number 61, you know, hey. All right. Well, That's you are fine. a V expert now, right? You've been to the V expert yes. portal. You got all the licenses as a V expert. Yes. Yeah, so. But I write the series from the perspective of I'm trying to teach someone from the community. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's how you can go and get Microsoft Server 2019 and Server or Windows sure. 10 ISOs to download for use in your lab. Here's how you can get VMware products for use in your lab for free. Yeah. For 60 days. Yeah. Now, note also, you might want to add in that if you join VMUG, I think the VMUG Advantage program for 100 bucks gets you a whole those license sets as well. So I I have both. I, I have I have a three-year VMUG Advantage subscription. Perfect. I like it that much. Right. And usually because VMUG updates their licenses and downloads and stuff before the V Expert does. So so I like the V. Plus, I like having the double licenses and stuff. Right. So. But I pay for the VMUG. I find it, you know, a good worthwhile investment. Sure. And we're trying to convince Citrix to do the same thing, that they should have a community license program. VMware has VMUG Advantage and eval experience. Yeah. 
you know, we're trying to convince Citrix to do the same thing that VMware has offered for years. Yeah, yeah years. probably six, seven years. Yeah, sure, no worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at a reasonable price. I mean, these are vSphere what, uh, Enterprise Plus licenses that you're getting. I mean, heck, I, I, I went to some website and looked at the uh, retail price for that sucker, and I was like, holy crap. <laughs> That's expensive. I'm glad I get it for a hundred and something dollars a year. Matt, we are coming up on the top of the hour. So I know that we, we did get a five or seven minutes late start. So we got a few more minutes. Are there things that we want to, you know, obviously promote his blog. Uh, again, I'll say carlwebster.com. Go there, check that out. A great way. And for people that have done vSphere, but haven't got into the end user space yet, this would be a really nice way to do that, right? Like we have. It, it's fantastic. And, and Carl, to, to bring it a little bit full circle, you had mentioned that you had gone through the series with, you know, the initial home lab and doing some of the, those, you know, 2019 deployment, rather doing it through the GUI you were doing off of PowerShell, which is fantastic. On the Horizon 8 series that you're, you're working on, how much of automation and automation with that deployment are, are you focusing on is that is that something that may, i know you'll go through a lot of the gui there's some automation that's in the 712 guide but it, it, do you see that making a change do you see no. trying to maybe do it a little bit more automated no. no because my philosophy is you can't automate what you can't do at least once manually you need to understand the process you need to understand why you select this option and not this option what impact that option has you know, either selecting it, deselecting it. You need to understand the process. Once you understand the process, then let's go through and, you know, work on the automation stuff. But under do it at least once manually so you understand it and then automate it. But there's so many different ways to automate. It's just like, what would I use? Packer, you know? MDT, SCCM, no, I'm not going to do SCCM. I don't have the licenses for all that stuff. Um, and I don't want to use uh, Hyper-V. Um, <clears throat> um, but, uh, you know, automation will come later. Matter of fact, I've, I've actually proposed that to one person as the third series. All right, we've got that's everything built. Step, right? Yeah, because right, like, again, show it's, us find, how to it's the building blocks, right? Yeah, yeah I was just like, blocks. how can you automate when we don't even have one VM yet? We don't even have a domain yet. We don't have DNS or DACP. How can you automate? How can I get IP addresses? We don't have any of that infrastructure built. Let's get the infrastructure built. Let's show them how to install the stuff. Then we can go through and say, okay, the way we installed this, this is how you would automate the, the same thing. What do you use for your home lab? What, what do you have to, to, to build out all of this documentation? And, you know, so much of this is componentry of, of describing someone how to start to do and lay down these building blocks. The home lab is right there. So is the home lab described um, and in the articles, in these base articles? Yes, and then there, there is. You use, yes. For yourself? And if you just Google inside Webster's lab, there are articles I've done like yearly articles. Uh, there's no reason to update it anymore because I'm not adding anything else to the lab because the lab is at its max. Um, 
but everything is described in detail where I bought the Synology NASs, you know, how they're configured, all the host I use for VMware, um, you know, and the configuration for every host where you can get them, you know, um, the laptops I use, the monitors I use, the thin, excuse me, the thin clients I use, everything is described in those articles. You have brought up thin clients, and we'll just jump over that real quick because I'm sure we have some EUC listeners on there. As far as thin client test licensing or NFR licensing that might be out there from vendors like Azure or, or whatnot, what have you come across? Of the guy that goes out there and find and it has thin clients and he wants to test it on his own, it could be HPEs, you know, um, 10 zigs, whatnot. What's the best way to, to interact with those vendors if they want to start testing thin client management within their labs? So Google 10 zig uh, demo unit in the first hit, because matter of fact, I just did this because I was on a webinar. I, I was moderating a webinar for 10 zig. Um, and you can request a demo unit. The nice thing about 10 zig is all their licensing is in the unit. So when you buy or get the, the a device, you have all the licensing you need. You get the management console, all the firmware updates, technical support, everything is included when you get the 10 zig unit. Uh, with uh, iGel, um, you can request uh, their UD pocket. You can you know request uh, eval units. Uh, 10 zig sent me two units to use in my lab. Uh, they're down there. Uh, and iGel sent me uh, two units to use in my lab. Uh, you know, you can request units. They will give you licenses to use. And so you can go through that entire process. I find both 10ZIG and IJL very easy to work with, uh, you know, to get an evaluation unit in licensing. I've not, wor uh, I've not worked with any other uh, thin client vendor, so I can't say anything else about like HP or Dellwise or whatever. But uh, I've worked with those two vendors, and, well, I've got units in here with, uh, you know, licenses and everything. Sometimes you just need to ask, right? If you can't I, find it, sometimes you just need to ask. You just got to ask. And take the time to search around on the website, drop the email out, make the contact out the rep, and just say, hey, <laughs> can we do some demos? Yeah. And, um, you know, Google or, or, or whatever search engine you want to use, you know, iGel demo, iGel evaluation, 10 zig demo, 10 zig evaluation, you know, and you will come to their site where they just say, hey, fill in this information and we'll send you. I did you something know. very similar with Control Up. I had a customer that was just happened to be a, a V expert and was looking to, to lay down some NFR license to, to demo Control Up in his lab as well to do some internal testing with without what they were doing. And again, just reached out to, to control up, control up said, sure, be expert here. Yeah. Your long NFR license. Yep. You got it. I've been using control up for many years and you know, they're, they love the community just like VMware does. And you reach out to them and you know, they'll do anything they can uh, to help you and you'll know, get you that they'll, they'll even put an engineer on a support call with you for up to an hour to make sure 
you get it installed and configured correctly in your lab so that you get an optimal experience with a product so that you're happy with it and you'll recommend it. We are at the top of the hour, guys. So uh, right. we, it, it, it goes by fast. We knew it was going to be a, a cool, fun day today. Um, Matt, we'll, we'll, we'll do the, the standard. Uh, how, do we, how do we get, you know, Matt will let you do that one. Uh, go for it. So, Carl, if, if for our listeners that are out there, let's hear one, again, the domain one more time. CarlWebster.com. And if they would like to follow you on socials, your Twitter handle. Carl Webster. Okay, Facebook, so Carl, Carl Webster, LinkedIn, Carl Webster, email. On brand, Webster all around. CarlWebster.com. I'll make myself very hard to find on the internet. Very fun, very fun. All right, with that, thank you guys for listening to nearly the end. Uh, as always, we are on uh, youtube.com slash vbarbecue, and you can also get us at vmw.re slash pod. Uh, we're on iTunes, VMware Community Podcast. So, Carl, we always do this at the end. We talk a little bit of barbecue. Uh, I'm going to be mm. doing some barbecue tonight, actually. We're going to be doing some steak and corn. I talked about the Costco corn that is amazing. Even though it's from Costco, you'd think it wouldn't be any good. I know you're from tennessee what are they barbecue down in tennessee ribs brisket pork chicken sausage so yeah stuff. now i've got to go get me some ribs there you go it is <laughs> I love uh, barbecue ribs carl here's the important question with your barbecue sauce vinegar based sauce or more <laughs> north, <laughs> northeastern sauce <laughs> vinegar <laughs> No, no vinegar. Vinegar no mustard, or some no of the, the mustard. Yeah, sometimes I see that down there. Yeah, nah. Uh, molasses is, is most of the barbecue sauces you, you'll see around here. Nah, I'm, I'm not a vinegar person. I'm not a mustard person. Uh, North Alabama, you'll see some mayonnaise-based barbecue sauces. But now nah, most of the stuff here, if it's smoked right, you should not need a sauce. Yeah. That's a mid southern mid mid tier California. That's what they say. Like if you're doing barbecue right, it has nothing to do with sauce. Maybe a rub, but never a sauce. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting yeah. times. Brisket, you should be able to pick it up, and it just fall as, as you're holding it up, it just falls, there and you, you just you're you're just trying to get the stuff in in your mouth that's so tender. You don't need a sauce on it. There and you ribs, go. you should be able to just pick up the bone, and the meat just kind of starts falling off on the side. Yeah, no sauce needed. There you go. We're at the end of the show. Great show, Carl. Thanks for coming on. Great to meet you. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll get you on in the next time you get your uh, next series going. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that and drive some traffic to your site. Thank you for coming on the show. Just don't crash it like Brian Madden did. We will try not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt will be a uh, Thanks for having me, man. I really enjoyed this. All right. Yeah. Good times. I had fun meeting you. Uh, next week, we are going to try to get Michael Roy on to Tom talk. I think he's got some stuff uh, happening, new, new, new things that he's been working some, on. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll big some developments with, with all things uh, M1 chip for um, the roadmap and how, how we're trying to accommodate that and 
all things uh, ARM. So I, I can't wait to hear from Michael. Yep, that'll be fun. Some cool stuff with ARM coming up, coming up to VMworld. Go get yourself. Call for papers if you made it this far. Call for papers closes, I think, uh, at the end of the week on May 14th. Today's the 12th and it's Wednesday. So yeah, Friday is the deadline for call for papers. So if you want to do a live streamed VMworld paper, do that. I know that uh, V Brownbag is going to also be doing call for papers. Uh, we've got a two-day event happening at VMworld for the community. It will be live streamed on a single Zoom. You'll be able to come in and stay all day long, chat with everybody, and then uh, 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 V Brownbag is going to be doing talks. So uh, we'll get that going as well. Uh, until then, everybody have some good barbecue, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.